Welcome to this bonus episode of Sound Opinions. Sometimes we have too much good stuff that doesn't make it onto the regular show on the radio, so we put it into a bonus podcast like this one. Today we're going to hear part two of our Jimmy Jam interview from a couple of weeks ago. In a minute, we'll talk with Jimmy about Babyface, Heather Headley, and what's coming up for him and the rest of the time. I can't wait. That was such a great conversation. We're back. Let's hear what Jimmy Jam had to say that didn't make it into the regular episode. But the thing that I think set you guys apart, and the way I think, like, well, people go, like, this Jam and Lewis record, you know, uh, new Nostalgia, well, it doesn't really sound like an 80s funk record, you know, like their, their sound. And I go, well, to my mind, that sound was about more than technology. I mean, if it sounded like an 80s record, I don't think it'd be very interesting. Uh, but it does sound like them. And I think what I loved about you guys and Prince and a lot of those Minneapolis R&B artists and the records that came out of there was the fact that you guys were sort of um, genreless. I mean, it was R&B, but there was also a lot of other genre things floating through there, which I think was really cool. Like, it opened up that whole sound uh, to people who may not have even listened to an R&B record. They were like, oh, but I, I can relate to this. And I feel like you're sort of carrying that forward here. Like that, I don't know, maybe, Jimmy, maybe I'm just talking out of my butt I hear you know, with this. But that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, like, this, this is what it meant to me. I'm curious, like, this record is very much an extension of what you guys are, and it doesn't sound like something you would have produced in the 80s, but at the same time, it's very much you. So I, I, I'm curious your take on that. Okay, I think for us, it's just a matter of, if you, if you remember that moment you fell in love with, uh, I'll use Babyface as an example. You remember that time you fell in love with Babyface. What did that feel like? What was, not even the specific song, but kind of what was that, that feel like? And then that was the goal, was to try to bring that feeling back to you. So when we did um, He Don't Know Nothing About It, It was kind of the idea of or figuring out that moment when we fell in love with Babyface. Now, it was funny when the record came out. I remember there was some of the criticism of the record was that people said, well, it doesn't sound like a Jam and Lewis record. And we said, well, what does it sound like? And they said, a Babyface record. We said, exactly. I said, because yeah, I said, yeah. I don't mm. I don't take that. I, I'm taking that as a compliment, actually, that it sounds like a Babyface record because our goal was to make the most babyface sounding record we could possibly do <laughs> which so, is what you were doing back in the day right <laughs> yeah yeah it was always it was always kind of that along that same lines that's what we were trying to do with it so we took that as a as a compliment and so that was really what we set out to do but the idea was not to try to mimic necessarily a record from back in that day but more to try to capture the feeling of it and the cool thing about it, with, and the Babyface record, the really cool thing about that record to me is that when we finished the record, it was one of those, you know, Babyface obviously is a, a great producer, but this record, he was like, we wrote the song and we started it 
pre-COVID, so we were able to, to actually sit in a room together and actually compose the song and actually record it on analog tape, and which was kind of fun. But we finished the song. He said, just finish it. You know, just you guys got it. And we were like, okay. So we did. And I remember the first time he heard the finished song, we played it for him. And he just came over it and he says, man, that sounds really good. We said, thanks. <laughs> he said, no, man, that's, that sounds really good. We said, you're baby face. What the heck do you think it's going to sound like? Yeah, but what yeah. we realized was, and the kind of, you know, when you're making the record yourself and you're nitpicking every mistake, I always say we're listening for the mistakes, right? So you're nitpicking every little mistake and you're trying to get every little part. Oh, I could do that guitar part over, or I could do, you know what? And you're thinking all these things. By the time the song's done, you're not really hearing it in a in a kind of a revelatory form. You're hearing in a in a, oh yeah, I don't mind it now. It's cool, right? So for him to actually hear himself for the first time, I think in a long time, just as Babyface, I think he was able to appreciate himself just as the artist. I realized that, but that actually happened really with all of the artists because all the artists, I mean, after they did their vocals or whatever, they just turned it over to us and said, do, you know, do, do what you want to do. And I remember getting a, I, a, it wasn't even a text. I got a, a like a phone message from Heather Headley, who was driving to, I think she was doing, she's doing a Netflix show. She was driving to the set and she put the song on. She hadn't heard it. The, I think it was the day the album came out. She hadn't even heard the finished version, but she signed off on it. She said, oh yeah, whatever they want to do, it's good. And she said, oh my God. She said, the vocals on this, oh my God, I didn't know it was going to sound like this. This is amazing. This is amazing. All I do is reminisce about those things I And I love that because it felt like Heather Headley was falling back in love with herself again. You know, record companies are telling you do this and, and it's analytics and it's streaming and it's this, all this stuff that has nothing to do with just make, just make good music. We, this is the way we think yeah. about it. Yeah. So we tried yeah. to make that the priority on this album and make, once again, create that safe space for the artist where they feel comfortable. And also they know the there's no really risk here because if the record's big, then the artist has a big record. If right. the record flops, oh, that's Jam and Lewis's fault. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> blame those guys. I want to ask about one more uh, song on, on volume one, uh, Baby Love. And I think it was a brilliant move, brilliant, absolutely brilliant, to, po to pair Morris and Jerome with The Roots, right? All right. But Morris's attitude, shall we say, or maybe it's you guys, right, is still way pre-Me Too there, Jimmy, <laughs> talking about Sugar Daddy and, and you know, it's like, uh, <clears throat> you know, Mr. Morris. <laughs> Things have changed a little bit. <laughs> How did that track come together, or were you just... Uh, you know, were you letting Morris be Morris and Jerome be Jerome? What what was the story? Yeah, you definitely are trying to to first of all, it's reuniting Morris and Jerome together. They hadn't recorded together wow. since I think the original Seven album we did uh, ten ten years wow. ago. I think it was now. So that hadn't happened for a while. So yeah, I, we wanted them to be in their best characters, so to speak. So that was part of what it was. And lyrically, I mean, listen. To me, what every the time it just in, in in its nature has always been very tongue in cheek, very kind of humorous. But really, with this song, we're saying in the song that we're not talking to young people; we're talking to old. This is grown folk stuff. Just 
Somebody said to me, I think, uh, as a matter of fact, somebody said, oh, their daughter was shocked uh, over the song or something. And I'm like, your daughter? I said, it's not for your daughter. That's the whole point. Like, your daughter ain't <laughs> at this club we're talking about. She's not there. And yeah. we don't want her there. And and Morris, at one point, I think he says, this this ain't even a college thing. This is like, this is like we, we, we're talking to our own age. You know, we're talking yeah. to our old age, our yeah. old age group, I guess the same thing. Oh, I, I can picture Morris uh, chasing the ladies at the old age home, you know, in another 20 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's age appropriate. Nothing wrong with chasing the ladies. No, you know, no, no, no. But, age, but we're age doing appropriate. It, you're right, at right. the old age home. That's exactly what it is. Matter of fact, that's how we should do the video now that I think about it. <laughs> idea. Well, that, that, that's perfect because Morris Day, you know, whenever I think about that guy, I always think I, everything's tongue in cheek. There is, if you take one lyric of his seriously, you're getting it all wrong. I always felt that way a, a lot. Kid Creole, same thing. It was almost like this parody of something. It was, but it was a brilliant parody. It was just like really funny and it was just meant to be in a total spirit of fun. Like when we're laughing about it as opposed to like, oh, that's really making me get, you know, getting me excited. That's not the vibe at all. It's, it's totally different. It's just like, how, how funny can you be? So yeah, I, I get that vibe. So, and you guys, I know you guys did some touring. Have you thought about any more time stuff or is this pretty much you're going to focus on volume two, three, and four, which uh, sounds like is, is in the offing here. What's, what's up for you in the next few years? So it's interesting because it's the 40th anniversary of the first time album, which has been kind of cool. And uh, just to kind of go back and reminisce about that a little bit, because it was definitely a great starting point for us. And one other thing I want to say really quick about Morris is that Morris is one of our favorite people. Morris back when we were you know, running around the recording studios secretly trying to produce stuff without Prince finding out. Morris very much encouraged that. And it, and he encouraged everybody in the band. He said, figure out what you guys want to do. He said, this band is not going to be together forever. So figure out what it is that you want to do. And we listened to that. We were like, okay, we're going to write and produce. That's what we want to do. And we were able to incorporate, you know, Jesse and, and Monty and Jellybean into what we did for quite a while. So it worked out it worked out okay. But um, I think we, you know, we'll just kind of see what happens. I know there will be a point, we've talked to the most of the time guys about this. There will be a certain point where we're not able to reunite again, the original seven guys. Whether it's a health thing, whether it's old age, um, whether it's mental, whatever that is. There's going to be at a certain point where we just can't do it anymore. So while we still can do it, should we do it? that's something for everybody to try to decide and figure it out. I, I never want to be at the point where one of us isn't around to do it for some reason. And then we go, man, we should have, we should have, yeah. we, you know, whatever. And, and Prince to me is the lesson in that. Okay. When he passed away, it totally changed my whole outlook on things that I wanted to do. And also the, I didn't want to leave things unsaid, you know, to, to people and how I felt about things. So, I'm already too long-winded anyway, which is, as you guys pointed out, I'm, I'm the music guy and Terry's a lyric guy, but Terry's a lyric <laughs> guy because what it takes me a paragraph to say, he can say in a sentence, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why he's good at that. But yeah, I, I've made it a point to really reach out to people. I mean, we just lost, lost um, Chucky Thompson, who produced Mary J. Blige's My Life album, which is one of my top five albums of all time. But I looked back because I was, I was thinking, man, I, I said, I just felt like I just spoke to him but it actually was a text. And I went back on my DM and literally three weeks ago, he said, where are you guys at? And I said, LA. And he said, okay, I'm gonna come out there. I got a project I'm working on. 
might have been Beyonce or something that he says, we got to get together and and do it. And I was glad that I had a chance to actually communicate with him uh, hmm. because I hadn't, like all the years that had gone by since my life, I never had actually reached out to him to say how pivotal that album was to me. But anyway, we about a year, well, in COVID, that was one of the relationships that we developed was just a kind of a text back and forth type of thing and, and got a chance to do that. So anyway, once again, sorry to be so long winded about an answer. I think that if I think the time should get back together and do something simply because we're all here and, and can right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would like to see that happen. Now, will it happen? I have no clue. Is it in the plans? No, it's not right now. Volume two, Jam and Lewis volume two is definitely in the plans and actually underway. That's it for this bonus episode. You can listen to Jimmy Jam's new album, Jam and Lewis, Volume 1, wherever you listen to music. If you've got thoughts on this episode, start a conversation in our Facebook group or leave a voice message on our website, soundopinions.org. As always, Sound Opinions is produced by Andrew Gill, Alex Claiborne, our associate producer, Sol Delgadillo, and our intern, Mary Bernthal. Our social media consultant is Katie Cott. Thanks for listening.